Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Jonah. You know, it's okay. As we stand before a holy God to understand who we are. Jonah. We all know the narrative. Jonah and the big fish. In fact, the acrostic Bible gives to us this outline of Jonah. Jonah's flight from God's presence. Jonah's intercession from the fish. Sackcloth is found in Nineveh. And yet Jonah is failing God because he's not accepting what God has done big fish. But yet that is not the focus of Jonah. You've heard me tell you that Jonah is the most sickening book in the Bible. And I say that for this reason. In Jonah chapter 1, the sea gets sick. In Jonah chapter 2, the fish gets sick. In Jonah chapter 3, The king gets sick as he repents over his sin. And in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah is sick and God is sick of Jonah. As you think about Jonah, you have to understand a couple of things. Jonah is the only missionary book in the Old Testament. Because it tells about God's desire to reach heathen people with his love. It's the only book in the Old Testament where the heathen repent of their sin. And as you recognize this book, you know something about God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. And we have all experienced that in our lives. Jonah means dove. And in verse 1, he is Connected with his, his father, Atei. Atei means truth. And so the book is written by one who is called a dove, Jonah, the son of Atei, truth. And I believe is a message to us. A message of a struggle that we all have. A struggle between God's will for our lives and our willingness to allow that will to affect our lives. Jonah chapter 1, are you there? Follow along as I read for you the first three verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Atei, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Over the next several weeks, we are going to see this struggle in Jonah's life. And we are going to see it on three different fronts. The first front is this. How did Jonah know God's will? 
That may be obvious. We'll talk about this this morning. The second front is this. What was God willing to do to get Jonah's attention, to do his will? You know the answer to that. And here's the third front that I think is just incredible. What did God accomplish through Jonah as he followed his will? But not only is it about God's will, it's also about Jonah's response. How did Jonah respond to truth in his life? What would Jonah do? We know the narrative. God's word comes to Jonah, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But what would Jonah do? Now that's an easy question to ask, right? The more difficult question for us to ask is, what would we do? How would you and I respond? As we know God's call in our lives. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. But may I just make a little bit of an application here? What do we do when the word of the Lord comes to his people? May I share a few things with you? Now the word of the Lord came to his people and said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. How do we respond? Now the word of the Lord came to his people and said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the word of the Lord came to his people and said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now the word of the Lord came to his people and said, You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. But you don't take your light and hide it under a bushel. And if salt doesn't do what it's intended to do, it's good for nothing. Now the word of the Lord came to his people and said, Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now the word of the Lord came to his people and said, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate therein day and night. That you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will have a prosperous way and then you will be successful. Now the word of the Lord came to his people and said pray without ceasing. Now the word of the Lord came to his people and said don't look on your own interests but look on the interests of others. The word of the Lord came to his people and said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now the word of the Lord came to his people and said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What would Joseph do? What would Jonah do? What do we do? Now the word of the Lord came 
it's critical that we understand these first nine words of the text. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Underline those in your Bible, mark them in your Bibles, tattoo them on your brains, because we must understand that God's word to Jonah was very specific. It told Jonah what he wanted him to do. It told Jonah where to go, what he wanted him to do, and why he wanted him to do it. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Told him where to go, what to do, and why to do it. Now let's look at this in a little bit of detail. Where to go? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now that may not ring a bell with you because you may not know where Nineveh was. I mean, if it had been written to us and said, God told us to go to Detroit, we know where Detroit is. But I think it's important for us to recognize where Nineveh was. Nineveh is about the middle of the screen. It's in Assyria. Jonah was down in Judea or Israel. So God's word comes to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, that's about a 200-mile trip. There weren't any chariot roads back then that were direct to Nineveh. Jonah could not go down to the airport, make reservations, and get there quickly. 200 miles would take you about 10 days of difficult, hard travel. God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, what's in Nineveh? Verse 2 describes Nineveh as a great city. Historians tell us that Nineveh was about 60 miles in circumference. What's 60 miles away from Battle Creek? What, Dave? Lansing, okay? So draw a line from Battle Creek to Lansing and use Lansing as a circle around Battle Creek, all right? Something in the middle is the It is a great city. In fact, if you look over to chapter 3 and in verse 3, it says that when Jonah did go there, it took him three days' journey just to travel its breadth. So 10 days to get there, and now three days just to walk through the city. We also discover in verse 6 of chapter 3 that that's where the king lives. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was the seat of power. It was where the Assyrians felt safe. 
Now, the Assyrians were a conquering people. They would go out to the other countries and bring them into submission. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But not only is Nineveh a great city, three days in breath, where the king lives. If you look over to chapter 4, you'll discover in the last verse that there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. Now, this is not because they were not educated. This is because they were small children. So if you take 120,000 children, small children, citizens, and figure that that was probably 20% of the population, that makes Nineveh 600,000. So a lot of people there. And we also read in that verse that there were much cattle there. Cattle talks about wealth. If you've got a lot of cattle, you have a lot of wealth. Don't ask Steve Carey about that. But in this time frame, the fact that cattle are mentioned means that the city was very prosperous. This was not a time of recession in Nineveh. Things were going great. The people were happy with the king. You need to know that. The people were satisfied living in great comfort where they were. Good times in Nineveh. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah, this is what I want you to do. Back to chapter 1, please. Jonah, I want you to cry out against that city. For their evil has come up before me. Jonah, even though it's a city of prosperity, even though it's a city of good times, even though the people are very satisfied with what's going on, there's an underlying cancer in that city. There's great evil in that city, Jonah. And I want you to cry up against it. And I want you to cry against it. Because I've seen what's really going on in this service. Now, we can jump over to chapter 3, and we can find out what Jonah's message was. The end of verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's, that's all the Bible tells us about the message he preached. Simple message, right? I don't think he spent hours and hours preparing that message. Pastor Spencer knows how difficult it is to prepare a message every week. You know why? Because Sunday's always coming. And you know why else? Because you've all been there, done that, heard about it. And so I have to struggle, frankly. 
for hours and hours and hours in, in texts and commentaries with outlines and, and prayer and, and thought. Because I want to make sure that what I share with you is what God wants to share with you from his word. And let me tell you something. When you're presenting God's message, that's a heavy responsibility. Jonah's message was 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. I'll bet he was easily able to memorize that message. I'll bet it was a consistent message. He could have even put it on a sandwich board. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days and Nineveh will... He couldn't, I don't know how he did, but that was his message. And why was that message so important? It was important because God recognized the evil that was going on in their lives. The evil has come up against me, God. Our men during our ABF are becoming very transparent with each other. Dave, thank you so much for bringing this subject matter to our attention. And the subject matter that we are working through is how to be holy in times of temptation. And as I shared with our guys this morning and there are different men that are sharing on each Sunday, and this was my turn. I shared that the reality is not if we're going to be tempted, but when we are tempted, what are we going to do about it? Scripture says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around as roaring like him, seeking he may be devoured. The scripture says that we are to be on guard because we have an, an adversary who is powerful. Put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand in the evil day. Evil comes up against God. And one of the things I mentioned this morning is it amazes me how often... We do things that we would not do publicly or in front of our friends and family that we will do in front of a holy God. Jonah, go to Nineveh because they're evil. And oh, they were an evil nation. They were evil warriors. I told you that they went out and conquered other nations when they were done conquering a city and had killed everybody, they would chop off the heads and pile them in front of the city gates. Not only were they evil warriors, they were evil in their worship. They worshiped in such a way that temple prostitutes were used to satisfy worship to a false god. And God says, 
their evil has come up against me. They were violent, they were sadistic, they were sacrilegious. And God said, Jonah, go and tell them you got 40 days to get your act together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? I can just see God looking at Jonah. Any questions? What part of this message don't you understand? Now we're only at the end of verse 2, right? Now the question comes in my mind is, how do you and I receive the word of the Lord? How do you and I discover the will of God for our lives? It seems very apparent that Jonah understood God's message. Now, I don't know where Jonah was when he got God's message. Have you thought about that? I wonder if he was sitting doing his daily devos. You know, working through his quiet time. Reading his daily bread. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was out working in his workshop. I don't know if he was on the ball field. I don't know where he was. But I do know this. It was tough for him to miss God's instructions for his life. So how do you and I discover God's will? May I very simply and quickly outline it for you this morning? To know God's will, we must start with his word. You cannot know God's will apart from his word. Right? God's got to tell you. Every once in a while, my wife and I will go out to dinner. And I usually start this process with a question. Hey, babe, where do you want to go? And you know what her answer is? I don't care. She lies to me. She does care. Because I'll start to make suggestions and she'll say, nah, not there. No, I'd rather not. Now you're laughing because it happens to you too, right? And here's the deal. I cannot know Connie's will to go out to dinner unless she gives me some word. We cannot know God's will for our lives unless we're in his word. And he has already given it to us. Amen? And it's complete. And it's thorough. And it's precise. You cannot know God's will apart from his word. Something else. 
God's will is never contrary to his word. If God said it, that settles it. Quit trying to argue with it. God's will for your life, for my life, is never, underline it, never contrary to his word. And there's a third truth, and that's this. We must not add or subtract from God's word. We Baptists like to do this, don't we? I mean, the Pharisees did. They said, this is God's word, but, but not only that, but you need to be over here, and you need to be over here, and you need to be over here. Now, that's not a bad deal. If that helps you live out God's word, that's all right. But don't blame God. Some weeks ago, we looked at the Great Commission. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, Matthew 28. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here's the key. Teaching them to observe all things that I, Jesus said, commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. What kind of things do we try to get people to do that Jesus never talked about? We cannot add, we cannot subtract from God's word. Remember what Jesus said about adding and subtracting? He said this in the book of Revelation. He said, anybody who adds or subtracts, they're in danger of destruction. You know Why? Because you never know how far to go either way once you start that process. Now, what does the Word tell us? You've seen this before. You've heard this before. I'm only reminding you, all right? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for Correction for instruction in righteousness that the child of God may be complete, truly furnished unto all good works. King James word, perfect, mature. So what does God's word do for us? It tells us what is right. It tells us what is not right. It tells us how to get right. And it tells us how to stay right. That's what God's word does. But there are some other things that you ought to be looking in for God's word. God's word also tells us about who he is. When you look for God's will for your life, be reminded of who God is. Be reminded of what God has done. Recognize what God will do for us. And know why we can trust him. That's good stuff, right? Now the word of the God came to And it showed us who God is, what he's done, what he will do, and why we can trust him. That's important. So when you're looking, look for some specific instructions, will you please?
look for some sovereign promises. Look for some outcomes, some solemn principles, some saintly examples and patterns, some strong... Look for these things in the Word. Look, look for them, because they're there for us. Because knowing God's will always starts with His Word. But not only do we need to be aware of His Word, we also need to invest in prayer. I read this convicting statement this past week. Charles Stanley said this, a man can preach no better than he can pray. Wow. Because between you and me, I know what my prayer life's like. Between me and God, God knows what my prayer life's like. But a man can preach no better than he can pray. You may be sitting there and thinking, amen, brother, you better do some more praying. But the reality is, a Christian can no better know God's will than he can pray. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you, right? Jesus said, pray with always prayer and supplication. Pray without seeing. A Christian, you can't know God's will any better than you can pray. Say, well, I'm no good at prayer. Practice it. You don't get good without practice. And how you practice is how you're going to play. Well, that's getting a little convicting. Let's move on. We need to recognize, if we're to know God's will, that we need to listen. We need to listen. May I remind you of some folks who listened? Noah listened to God. He built an ark. Elijah Listen to God and heard a still, small voice. Saul listened to God when Nathan talked to him. And Nathan said, what about these sheep that are bleating out here in the pen? David listened to God when Nathan told him about his sin with Bathsheba. Peter listened to God when a great sheet came down. And God said, what I call clean, don't you dare call unclean. Now, as we think about that, you'd better make sure you're listening to the right source. Remember who Eve listened to? How'd that work out for her? Do you remember who Samson listened to? How'd that work out for him? 
Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He's going to deny me three times. You remember who Peter listened to? He listened to himself, and he denied the Lord three times. Remember who the crowd listened to when they bought, brought Barabbas and Jesus before them? You'd better make sure you're listening to the right source because there are a lot of voices crying. that would separate us from God's will today. And you need to look for opportunities to serve. You see, the truth is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as part of the body, we're part of the body for the common good. We're part of the body so that everybody else profits from our ministry. And it's not whether or not God wants us to do it. It's all about us recognizing what God wants to do in our lives. We ask the question, why not, Lord? Give me an excuse. And yet the question should be, why not me, Lord? Why not me? We move on very quickly into verse 3. But Jonah. But Jonah went down to Joppa to catch a ship into Tarshish. Now, you read those, and, and again, we don't understand what all that means. So let's look at a map, all right? Jonah's in Israel. Nineveh's up here. Joppa is below Israel. Jonah goes down to Joppa to catch a ship to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is off the map. Many people think Tarshish could well have been Spain. It was the ends of the earth. There wasn't much beyond Tarshish. And so Jonah goes down to Joppa to catch a boat to Tarshish. And why does he do that? Look at the text. To flee from the presence of the Lord. Where did Jonah think he was going to go? I mean, what kind of theology is that? Is God omnipresent or not? Is God omnipotent or not? Is God omniscient or not? Jonah went down to flee from the presence of the Lord. It's interesting, the psalmist Instead of making the statement that he's fleeing from God, ask the question, where shall I flee from my presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. You'd expect that. If I ascend into hell, you're there too. Where, where am I going to go to get away from God? You can run, but you can't hide. 
And so Jonas determines to flee from the presence of the Lord, and three times in the text it says he went down. Now, a lot of evangelists, a lot of messages make a big deal about Jonah going down. I think there's a big deal to be had. But the fact is, Jonah was going away from God instead of toward God. And anytime you do that, you're going to be in trouble. And it says in the text that he paid the fare. Mark it down. Anytime you go to flee from the presence of the Lord, you're going to pay a price. Jonah paid it willingly. Not too many weeks ago, I was talking to a gentleman who has heard the plan of salvation a number of times. I shared with him again the plan of salvation. He wasn't interested. And I said to him, I said, let's think about this. If you're right and I'm wrong, what do we lose? He responded by saying, nothing. I said, but what if I'm right and you're wrong? And he made this statement that has stuck with me. He said, I guess I'll just have to pay for it. Why? Now, I understand theology, and I understand that the God of this age has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe, and I recognize that, that you can't be saved unless somebody... Unless God calls you. I, I, I know all that. But on a human plane, why would you do that? Why take the chance? Why pay the price? Jonah did. He knew exactly what he was doing. I think it's interesting, he didn't even debate with God here. He, he debates with God in chapter 4. <laughs> so we know that Jonah was not above debating with God. But here, he doesn't even debate with God. He just says, I'm out of here. May I challenge you in your life? That if you're not following God's will, you're fleeing from God's will. We'd just kind of like to be neutral, wouldn't we? <laughs> well, I know better. I'm just not going to do it. I, I recognize what, I, what God says and what I should be doing, but nah, I just, I'm, I'm satisfied where I am. If you're not following God's will, you're fleeing from God's will. Now, can I give you some truths to take home? 
Here we go. Number one. God's will is as plain as his word. We try to complicate it. And yet, here's what I'm convinced of. If we would just do what we know we should do, the rest of it would follow. God's will is as plain as his word. God will always honor his word. Think about that. God will always honor his word. And lastly, God will always bless his people who follow his word and his will. You want to be blessed? And as the hymnal, hymnist is written, and find peace and sweet rest, then yield him your body and follow his will. Simple formula. Easy peasy. Jonah is all about a struggle between God's will and his children's response. Well, that's a 21st century struggle, isn't it? I don't know if that's where you, that's where I am. And yet, when we follow his will, there's the potential of entire cities getting turned upside down for his glory. If we would follow his will, there's the potential of Battle Creek, Calhoun County, getting turned upside down for his glory. Anybody with me? <laughs> there it is. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Would you put your name in place of Jonah I want you to say it this morning with me so what we're going to do is we're going to say now the word of the Lord came to and then I want you to put your name there all right now the word of the Lord came to Tom <laughs> yep there it is have thine own way Lord have thine own way you are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after your will. While I'm waiting, I'm not running to Joppa. I'm not fleeing to Tarshish. While I am waiting, yielded and still.